0: But the anointing that is going to fall on them now that they're senior pastors is going to do amazing damage to the
1: kingdom of God. So I'm excited about that.
2: What if you're Jewish or
0: Muslim and you don't accept Christ at all?
2: You know, I, I just, I'm very careful about saying who would and wouldn't go to heaven. And the Holy Spirit to me is like the genie from Aladdin. It's who he is to me. And he's funny. He's sneaky.
0: Because God broke the law. For long,
1: I refuse to create a the theology that allows for sin. When I read in the Bible where he says, I am, I just smile and say, yes, I am too. Peter, James, Paul elected to
2: unhitch the Christian faith. From their Jewish, scripture. we must have well.
1: And I wept, and I wept, and I wept as I forgave Jesus.
0: And welcome to the Roundtable Part 3. I am going to be your host today, Alex, and I am joined, as always, with Nick and Paul. Gentlemen, hi. would you like to say hi? Hi. Hi. Thank you.
2: I just, had cho- I just had choice meats for, for lunch.
0: Choice meat. Hey, you know what? Yeah, we I are just have to say that I'm sorry. We are all choice meats in God's eyes. that probably has to be one of the dumbest analogies i think i've heard when talking about election to date i I don't know about you guys but i I did like
2: his his response uh his video i love james white i really i I enjoyed that a lot that was amazing it really was yeah
1: that that was the way things should be yes absolutely so we'll see how how dr white responds to that if he does yeah
0: So gentlemen, we've got a full show, and we've got a couple questions and some good topics that we want to cover, and then if we don't, we can't cover all the time, I can throw some more at you. So uh, without further ado, let's kick this off. Uh, One of the questions sent in to us is, do we have authority over demons? Yes. Yes. Moving on. (laughs) what is yes
2: what do you mean with that question though like authority I, in what sense
0: it, it's just a generic question um, maybe maybe in the terms of like the catholic church where we um, have Exorcisms. the ability to exorcism yeah, yeah right
2: um, uh, I don't think we do I think that with the preaching of the gospel comes deliverance from people and uh, when the when the Holy Spirit takes residence within a, a believer, that believer will, will not be possessed by right. any other type of type
0: of of uh, spirit. The Holy Spirit d- doesn't share room. Do you remember like way back when last year we did that whole series on uh, um, the armor of God? We talked about this yeah. just briefly. Did we? I think you, yeah, we did. I forgot. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, Really, though, I, I agree. Uh, Nick, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I, I mean, a believer shouldn't be getting themselves mingled with demons and stuff like that. It's uh, That's really more or less the unbelievers.
1: You know, um, th- thinking about the question, I kind of want to say n- no, that, that we don't have authority over the demons, but Jesus right. does. Oh,
2: my yes was a joke, by the way.
0: Oh, (laughs) Way to change it at the last minute. uh, No, no,
2: no. It it was a joke because it sounded like such a charismatic question. I'm just, no. Like, I can't go around commanding demons to do whatever I want them to do. Yeah, right. Right. So
1: whenever I first first heard the question, I actually genuinely said yes because I was thinking, you know, yeah, I guess kind of by by osmosis or whatever. But really, we don't. It's not us. And so then thinking about how some people could see that, I was like, yeah, I'm going to say no now. Um, but I do think a lot of, like, demonology uh, is is tradition interjected into the text, and we really don't know that yep. much about it, so we shouldn't build theologies around it at all. I mean,
2: one thing that I, I do believe about us believers is that we shouldn't be afraid about demons because um, Christ owns them, and he commands them, and they, they do whatever he allows them to do. Right.
0: But have I don't guys, think
2: that we have authority to command them um, out from people because that would be a sign gift and right. that would authenticate us as um, apostles or prophets. So I don't believe that.
0: So me have you think, guys ever noticed how it's always seems to be the Catholic Church that spearheads the demonology studies? Just yeah, but it's based on tradition. Pretty
2: much mythology.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of like extra,
1: like the whole, like even with like the possession and, uh, Oppression stuff, a lot of that's mm. it's not stuff that you can find directly in scripture. I mean, we can we can deduce like you can't be possessed because you're possessed by the Holy Spirit, but for the most part, it's just kind of like, well, you know, this is kind of what we think about demons. It's not you necessary. Mean
0: so, shaking on the floor during church service is not part of the Holy Spirit's doings. So, so,
1: uh, you know, what's funny <laughs> is that part of me wants to even say that, like, with casting out demons, if we saw a legitimate casting out of demons today, it wouldn't be this massive struggle that you see in charismatic movements. I think it'd be a one and done because that's the power of Jesus. You know, if if it really is his authority and his power working through you, then it won't be that much of a struggle, I don't think.
0: Right. True. Maybe only if that person actually trying to doesn't have strong faith and they're just kind of like, oh, maybe I can do this. That's true, too, I guess. Yeah. Because I feel like if you're going to do it, you have to have faith the size of a mustard seed. Like, well, you legitimately have to have real faith.
1: Well, honestly, like, I, I don't think that someone would actually try if they didn't have some faith, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, unless
0: you're charismatic.
1: You, okay, I guess that's a fair point.
0: <laughs> uh, any other comments on the demon casting out or authority? Mm. Yeah. Uh, moving on. I don't think so. So here's an interesting one. Paul, you and I talked about it on our live during all of the awesome um, technical difficulties that we had. But I'm curious at Nick's thoughts, and maybe we can kind of dig into it a smidge deeper. But eschatology views, what are you? I am a
1: panmillennialist.
0: Care to elaborate? Um, I believe that it all me, pans
1: out in the end.
2: Yeah, that's Paul's. That's Paul Washer's view all right. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't think pa- it's... Part
2: of me is with Nick, but I'm more of a historic primo. But uh, I'll let Nick finish. I, I don't think it's... I think there's a lot of
1: important things to focus on, and that's not it. I do think that eschatology determines how you see your actions being played out, like what the purpose is and what the focus is. Um, like maybe people who are more on um, mill might be more into uh, establishing God's law kind of on earth. And I know that like uh, with, with the NAR, which obviously is outside of Christianity, we've talked about that, uh, they believe in Amil too. And so their viewpoint of the seven mountain mandate actually makes sense. It affects their practice. So I do think yeah. eschatology affects practice to some degree. Um, for me personally, I, I think this is what I was commanded to do in scripture. I was commanded to uh, teach scripture, to make disciples, to, to spread the gospel. And that's just how I see it. I don't, I don't think that long-term enough, I guess, uh, to worry about it necessarily. No,
2: I totally agree. Paul? Um, I'm more of a historic pre-mill, and I I do believe, Nick, I might be wrong, that the NAR is post-mill. They believe that they have to bring the kingdom uh, through their doctrine and theology and works.
1: Hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, I I know know Costihan considers uh, Bill Johnson at least uh, a mill but I'm not entirely sure on that, so I'm not sure.
2: Interesting. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I'll have to look more into that. I don't know.
2: I I, I used to be a, a... I hate the word, but dispensational, dispensational premillennialist, but, uh, I'm no longer that I used to be really on, on par with John MacArthur on his, uh, on his, um, position on, on the rapture and, uh, the kingdom and all that. Now I really don't agree with him much. I think most of his uh, arguments and defense for it are, uh, taken out of context from the verses. and I, I'm no one to say that. I mean, I'm, I'm saying that John MacArthur is taking verses out of context. So, um, I should be hanged for that, yeah, yeah, but uh, um, I don't agree Shania. with him on, on on all his positions. I do believe that there will be a, a millennial kingdom, a reign on earth with Christ, but I'm not sure about the rapture's timing. I don't know if it's before or after that.
0: Mm. interesting.
2: and the whole f- the whole insane focus on Israel on, on whatever happens there, I don't think it's healthy either.
0: yeah, yeah I agree. I think uh,
1: the overemphasis on rapture is kind of uh, a weird, cheap American knockoff, too. Honestly, like uh, the whole the, the, left, the left Behind, behind series, yeah. yeah, ra- yeah. Rapture, what rapture me away, please get me out of here. It's like that's yeah, not, not that's not gospel centered. Yeah. That's that's self preservation, um, and I think so. I, for some re- for for me, I think it's better to just um, think, regardless of what the rapture may be act like it's not going to happen because you have work to do. There's work to do.
2: Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the best way to think. And, um, one of the bad arguments, uh, which made me, um, uh, disagree with the pre wrath tribulation was that, um, I forget the letter. I think it's first or second Thessalonians that it says that we were not, um, that we, we would be spared from the wrath, from the wrath to come. Mm. That means judgment, and that means eternal judgment. And, yeah. and uh, premillennialists uh, that hold to a pre-tribulation rapture take a hold of that verse and say that, oh, see, the church is not going to go through the wrath. I think that's eisegesis, because that that's not specifically talking about um, wrath upon earth, which would be the tribulation period. Yeah. I would say yeah. that
1: like whenever I was first saved and I was into eschatology— it was heavily conspiracy based, and I think that's where a lot of people stay, and, yep. and we need to get out of that at least, <laughs> yep. because because yeah, uh, you can make all the conspiracy connections in the world, and I would argue like right now a lot of people think that this is it. Uh, and We're I, in it. I would argue that yeah. R- World War One, <laughs> well, World War Two, every II, generation
2: has, has believed that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, because every generation, I think every generation so far has had more reason to believe that. <laughs> Yeah. I think our, our generation's pretty uh pretty calm, honestly, to some to some degree. And I, I don't know if that's just because we're over here and we don't really see the other stuff going on, but whenever I think about the early church and
0: whenever I think about
1: the different wars that have happened
0: and Yeah. Yeah. Just I think the biggest I think the biggest things people hold on to today are a couple of things. Uh Nick, you nailed it with the conspiracy theory, but people like to hang on the idea that israel was made a nation in like it wasn't 46 or 49 48, 48 48 so close yeah, i was i was gonna get there eventually <laughs> and <laughs> and now people are rumoring that the third temple is being built again and yeah. they're all like this is it well it is they coming. have
2: they they do have all the blueprints and yep. um they have all, all the, the vessels objects yeah they have all the vessels they have ready. everything they even have uh, a renovated sanhedrin yeah. so it's, it, yeah, it's interesting
0: to know Yep. The third, so, and the, they
2: have the the ironic priests all set up. Uh, I think that two two or three years ago they sacrificed a red heifer on Mount yep. um, Hermon, I which is that. where Jesus um, transfigurated. Yep.
1: Yeah. They uh. It be... the third temple Go theory ahead. was
2: a big one for me.
1: I remember being mm-hmm. into that one, and then the uh, the Mahdi or the Mahdi from oh, yeah, yeah. from Islam was a was a really compelling one too especially with the 666 in Greek. Uh, that was an interesting
2: one. I know that.
1: Yeah. I was like, "Whoa!" I didn't expect that to pop up. Uh, but yeah, that was, an, those are interesting ones. The third temples. It's interesting. Um, yeah, it is. I don't know how I feel yeah. about it, to be honest, but I used I think to be a lot of people. One thing
2: that I would like to say about this is that I don't, like it when people are dogmatic on eschatology because you you don't know if you have the completely right view there are so many there are i don't know five and a lot of people hold to either one or the other and um well mainly the dispensationalist uh, premillennialists are the most dogmatic but some amillennialists are very dogmatic also and i just don't think it's some something to be dogmatic on
0: yeah yeah, and some I think, some people take it really seriously.
2: Go ahead.
1: Oh no, 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 go ahead. Sorry.
0: I was just gonna say I agree. You know, with you earlier that we still have work to do, and it's just, I think, eschatology seems to be this topic that a lot of people love when they first get into Christianity because they're like, oh, this is you know, prophetic scripture. It's the end of times. It's all yeah. this really interesting. Imagery and they people just chomp on that and I was yeah in the same shoes, man I was YouTube video conspiracy theorist yeah. and it, I was
2: it's a fun cage stage It is a it, great it is. fun cage stage
0: like honestly, f-
2: for, but also look at it from the Old Testament perspective yeah. like um, First Peter clearly says that the prophets didn't know where Jesus would I mean when he would come mm-hmm. or who who he would be in a humanly speaking way so they were not dogmatic either on that part of their eschatology. And that's why we shouldn't be on our part. We don't know everything and how everything is going to play out in chronological order. So I just don't like it when people, um, I don't know, call you stuff for not agreeing yeah. with their position on the rapture or <laughs> stuff like that.
1: I'd say, yeah. I'd say if, if you're studying the Antichrist more than you are Christ, then you need to check yourself. Before you wreck back. yourself.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That that sums it up right there. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Next <laughs> question. How to address, address baptismal regeneration? This person says they've been saved since they were eight days old, argument. Or, uh, quote, unquote, uh, I have been saved since the eight, uh, eight days old, argument. So they were probably baby baptized. Uh, that sounds
2: like the Roman Catholic Church or... Yeah. um
0: do I Some yeah, Lutherans. you want to pick a fight?
2: <laughs> I'm I'll just going to sit back on this one. Time.
0: Um. So yeah. So what are you guys thoughts? Baptismal regeneration, and if you're baptized as a baby, thoughts on that? I mean, uh, what do you guys think? Nick, please. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> Nick's, uh, the, Nick's the uh, resident genius here. So
1: no, not on I. I've, Baptismal regeneration really has little to no basis. That, yeah. That's that's all I have to say. Um yeah, moving on. <laughs> I, I don't I don't really want to get into a bunch of fights. I i you know, there was a post this morning, it was like um as a Presbyterian you put up a meme or something saying that whenever I talk about baptism, all my Baptist friends come after me. I was like, No, 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 no. Whenever I talk about baptism, all the Presbyterians, all the Roman Catholics, yep. all the Lutherans, yeah. Eastern Orthodox. Yeah, man, everybody gets offended. Uh, yeah, I was like, Nope, I'm not going there. Not today.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um my thing with that would be if baptism does not regenerate and i i know all the the conundrum with um um covenant children and all, and all that stuff and the baptism doesn't save them but if it doesn't save them what does it do because you're ingrafting <laughs> them into the new covenant but they don't have christ as their perfect mediator because they can still fall away so christ could mediate his blessings when the child is um, newly baptized. And then when the child falls away, Christ will mediate wrath. How, how can Christ become a, a mediator uh, about grace and salvation and then go to mediate wrath? That's, that's what doesn't fit with me.
1: I, I will add one caveat for the sake of the Presbyterians um, that a lot of people mistake uh, Presbyterian uh, view of covenant baptism as Roman Catholicism. And it's not, so if you're if you're no, going to no. discuss that with them, just make sure you don't misrepresent them because that's just not cool.
2: Yeah, everyone does that. Yeah, I, I know the Presbyterians don't believe uh, what what Roman Catholics believe.
0: It's totally different. Yeah. So what do you think, Alex? Well, uh, I think I think more or less I agree with what Paul was saying that uh, baptismal regeneration. People seem to hold dearly to this concept that if you're not baptized, you're not getting into heaven. Um, and while the call is to be baptized, it doesn't seem to be um, part of our salvation. It's just a response that we make into— It's um, obedience. It's an, yeah, it's an obedience. It's like a de- declaration, right, that you're making this public declaration um, that you are now a follower of Christ. Um, and it, yeah, the and, best, and Luther like, would kill us all now. We would, yeah, and yeah. I could care less, but that's just my perspective. So that's the one thing with Lutherism that I just can't agree to is, is their view on baptism. Um, I just don't, I don't believe it regenerates you. I mean, I think it's, you know, I got baptized earlier last year and only because, you know, I, I grew up in a very secular home and was baptized kind of as just a, you know, oh, this is what you do with a kid type moment. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I was raised... Well, I think it, the, my only argument, and and I'm going to leave it at this. My only argument for um, pedo baptism is for families who are dedicated to walking with Christ that they will raise that child in light of knowing who Christ is.
2: Oh, I totally agree with that, but because that's not infant
0: baptism. That that's just a it's just dedication. dedication. Yeah, which is what it boils down to. So,
2: yeah, and and I can really relate with that because I was raised in a. Um, Christian-ish household, so I was always pushed to be baptized, and thank God I didn't, because I was not converted. I, um... Yeah, I...
1: Whenever it comes to, like, the the children and and things like that, I I think that a lot of people in our country specifically, uh, baptize too flippantly, and so you'll have kids who are under the age of, what, 15, who make a profession Uh and get baptized because all their friends are doing it, and then what you find out is that they were never saved, and I think mm-hmm. that causes more issues than than not. How many it does
2: it, it confuses yeah. the church on on who's who?
1: Yeah, and it confuses it confuses them, and it, and you have all these people saying, "I oh, used to be a Christian."
2: It's like,
0: no, you were oh, dipped you in never water, were. right? Yeah. Sorry. How many How many people does Stephen Furtick baptize every week?
2: Oh, they have something they call spontaneous baptism, oh, in which yeah, the exactly. uh, Furtick is uh, quote unquote preaching, yeah. and. And suddenly the someone Holy raises come. up their hand, and, and, and they want to be baptized. And it was all arranged from before the
0: quote-unquote it is sermon time. began. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that's really dangerous. It is. It's, uh, I, I
2: think that's uh, more like a circus than a church.
1: It is. It is. I mean, because people think that that's what it is. You you make a baptism, that's your ticket.
0: You got it punched. Yep. You're good. But no. Yep. No. Sorry, baptism doesn't get you to heaven. Now Moving on. (laughs) All right, so we've got a long question, and this is an interesting topic I think we can spend a few moments talking about. So they say, we hear all the time when dealing with churches teaching false doctrine and practices spawned from a shallow understanding of theology and love and kindness to point out their error. Honestly, how do we do that? How do we effectively reach people that follow these pastors, the false teachings, the false practices, and doctrine. It's like a spreading cancer in the church, and we need to uh, disciple and equip individuals to confront and defend the faith. I would love to hear your thoughts on the best approach. Gentlemen. Bueller. Bueller. <laughs> Bueller. I'll take a stab at this one. Go for it. Yeah. Um, I don't think the best way to tackle these is to stand in front of the church with a giant sign and like basically picket protest this stuff. I think that's it's just not the best way because all you're going to do is turn off the people who are walking into that church because they think what they're doing is right and you're standing out there protesting them and they're not going to listen to you. I find that, in my opinion, to not be the best way to approach this. Um, the best way to approach this probably is to start in your small circle of influence and to start being an example of the gospel preaching the true gospel to these individuals if you start in your small circle chances are you will find somebody who holds to some of this false doctrine whether it's a family member a friend a coworker you know and then you start to kind of blossom out from there you know do you does that person go with a group of people to these quote unquote concerts or you know motivation speeches and stuff like that i mean if you look local you will make such a bigger impact by preaching the true, the true gospel there than going and standing and, and picketing there these events because you know back before i was really authentically saved I would say when I was kind of like on that edge, I went to a Joel Osteen convention. Um, my head hurt afterwards. And that was when I realized that it was all a bunch of hoo-ha. Um, but there's people out there preaching or, out, you know, on the sidewalk protesting and, you know, they were just as bad as, as hearing the, the false teaching in the Osteen concert. I mean, it was just a complete, it was just the other side. It was the, the you know, the the other side of the radicalness. And I, I personally just don't think that's the best way to reach people. I think we need to be cognizant of who is in our circle and what they believe, and uh, start working through those levels. What are you guys' thoughts?
2: The first thing that I would approach, and this would be to uh, establish clearly the authority of that person who is following the false teacher and the false doctrine, because they they get so emotionally attached to the the teacher. Be it um, Furtick, people absolutely love him, or Perhaps. Joel Osteen, or a- anyone, for that matter. Um, get them to a conclusion about themselves, whether they hold to what the Bible says, regardless of their feelings to these teachers, or um, they're just going to follow the the wolves um, in spite of all that the Bible says.
0: But wouldn't you want to, obviously, we, we want to make sure we, we note who these people are, but I've always find is like, start with that person and say, what do you believe? And if they can come out with a semi-close doctrinal stance, like, oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. He's the son of God. He, you know, this and this and this. And then you say, okay, so why do you follow Ferdick Or why do you follow Osteen or Joyce Meyer or any of the, you know, any of the other people? got to get to the root of that. And if you can't, you know, if they can, you know, really not give you a good answer, then that's great ways to say, okay, well, let me introduce you to other. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is, is establishing what that individual person's belief st- uh, system is first. Then you can, yep. you know, blossom from there.
2: Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not taking part in, in, oh, you should not call the, their favorite teachers out or yeah. tell them about them because why right do you want to please them or their their teachers or the bible
0: and god don't touch god's anointed no don't
2: (laughs) (laughs) nick what are Hmm. your thoughts so
1: it's kind of a massive question it is um so in love and kindness point out their error. How do we do that? How do we effectively reach the people that are following these pastors? I, I think w- one of the biggest ways is to develop compassion for the people that you're trying to reach. Mm-hmm. B- people seeing compassion for them. Uh, you know, before we started this episode, we were talking about compassion for Jehovah's Witnesses uh, that I have, and then Mormonism for um, um, Paul. I think that whenever you have... I, to, I don't have compassion. <laughs> well, you eat it. I'm sure you do. <laughs> you
0: do. Uh, I Actually, think, my compassion is for these people who follow this, because I, I think more or less I come from this line of thinking. So, yeah.
1: Right. And, and I think that whenever you're talking to people and you have that compassion, and whenever you're standing on a firm authority like Scripture, and you have that compassion, and you have the zeal for the truth, while also doing it in, in love and kindness that is enough to get them to consider the truth. I think also leading with questions uh, is extremely helpful because it makes them think through the issues, kind of what y'all were saying, ask them the questions. Because that that's the key. You can talk mm-hmm. to people all day long, but if you're not asking them questions and making them answer and yep. put it in their own words, nothing really happens uh, because they're just regurgitating something that they heard or uh, whatever. Um, make them think about the issues and just... I think that at the end of the day, it's all by the power of the spirit. If, if the fruit of the spirit is, you know, patience, kindness, gentleness, self control, that that's really where it needs to be. And whenever you veer off of that, then you're not doing it through the spirit. You're doing it through your own flesh, and it's not going to. It may produce results, but that's not the way we're supposed to be doing it.
2: Uh, yeah, if if you if you don't have compassion or, and are just bashing their heads with a Bible, that's that's not going to work. And yeah. I do
1: think, and I do think, there is this misconception of love. Uh, that people have thrown around that you don't tell people truth. But at the same time, I think there's been a retaliation against that from people who do call out false teachers and say, well, it is loving to call out truth, but they forget that love is patient and kind. It does not envy Mm -hmm. or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Uh, It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So that doesn't mean that you just throw out all the parts of love that these other people are trying to emphasize because you want to tell people the truth. It means you have to find that biblical balance. And I think that we're too often uh, going off the rails with that, and we need to make sure that we're trying to stay on that path. In terms of how to address it, like Alex said, you know, influence the people in your sphere, and then eventually you'll have a small group of the Church who are willing to speak out on these issues. Yeah. Um, And we've, the three of us have all seen the fruit of this where people realize the truth and then they want to share that because they realize how dangerous it is. And then it slowly Mm -hmm. gains more traction. And that's kind of how it's always been historically as well. So,
0: yeah, and I actually have a really good story uh, around this particular question that, uh, um, so when I, the reason why I said we should really start looking at our uh, initial circles of influence is, Um, I had a family member uh, actually over Easter break um, come down and we were chatting about uh, just various things and then we got on the topic of uh, uh, homosexuality in the church and that conversation uh, was in a group of people in the family and then um, they kind of dispersed and it was just me and this person and the questions became more centered around the Bible and Christ and the teachings of the gospel and the heresies in the church and the false teaching in the church. I ended up talking to this person for over three hours that night because, you know, through this whole um, uh, kind of conundrum that they were facing and trying to slowly peel back these layers of false teaching that they've encountered um, gave them a couple books. I walked through scripture with them. I, I actually answered all of the questions that they presented in terms of like, well, this is what, you know, I see taught on TV or, you know, on TBN, or this is what Olsteen preaches. And I countered all of that, you know, in a loving and compassionate way, um, because this is a person and family and, uh, you know, and I think it, it's helped them. I don't know if, you know, only the Holy Spirit knows, um, in time, you know, and I believe that, that they're Christian. I believe they love Christ with all their heart, and they believe in all of the, 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 the core elements of Christianity. It's just the um, finer mechanisms, the finer tunings of what uh, the gospel stands for that I think they're just kind of confused on. And I think um, being gullible, not necessarily this person, but the Christian being gullible, just, oh, I'm new to the faith. Where should I turn? Well, all these people are big mainstream people you know, preachers and I should look at that and their gullibleness gets ripped to shreds because they're being taught of a, a false doctrine. Yeah. And it's such a dangerous notion that these people have the power they have. Yeah. Um, one thing that I was just thinking about, too,
1: with, with all that is I've seen a, a major, uh, a positive reaction whenever I've shown people, where the Bible speaks on those particular issues, the false teachings, the false teachers, those examples, because they're laced throughout scripture. And for some reason it kind of clicks whenever they realize, Oh wait, the Bible talked about these things and they are important Mm -hmm. according to scripture. Cause for some reason there's this blind spot for a lot of modern Christians where they don't realize the Bible talks that much about false teachings. And I think just showing them that knowing those passages, uh, makes a big difference. So at the end of the day, learn your Bible and read it and stand on it. And I think, uh, you know, the word of God is like a sword kind of through bone and marrow, right? So um, use it. What, yeah. Why would you put down your sword? Vadi Vachman had a great little sermon on that from G3, I think like two years ago. But
2: You know what came to mind with that? Was that? Every single letter, but around two from the whole New Testament um, are for refuting heresy yeah. and false teaching. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And anyone who says that, uh, anyone who tries to leverage Jesus, like if a liberal Christian tries to leverage Jesus as a means for not talking about those, Jesus talked just much, just as much about false teachers. In fact, mm-hmm. his whole ministry was correcting false teachers in some sense. That
0: was yeah, exactly. Why do you think he went after the the Pharisees so much? Yeah. So this actually brings a, an an interesting question to my mind. How do you guys handle people on Instagram that come at or you put a post up, let's say? Um, it deals with false teaching, and then they come back and say um, well that 's just generic. I want you to give me specific verses that they quote wrong or they twist or things like that. What do you guys think about stuff like that
1: I think it's a fair i think it 's a fair thing for someone to do i mean if if you put up a post about someone and you don 't have examples of where they have aired, then i don 't think you should be putting the post up about them i 'm not saying that you, you do obviously i 'm just mm-hmm. um like, uh, there's, there's certain fault. There's certain teachers who people have said are part of like the NAR, for example. And someone asked me about them. I'm not sure. I was like, well, I think he's associated with them. And someone else eventually came in, but I I'm in no place to pretend like I know, you know? Um, yeah. but with, with people like, uh, the prosperity movement, they all have kind of the same staples and you can see them saying things like, um, like Jesus was born again. Obviously that has a lot of issues. Or Jesus suffered in hell for three days. That's also heresy. So there's all these like little things you could point out to. And you can show them with scripture why those things are wrong. Um, but I think that you should be able to give an answer. And I think that's part of Apologetics is being able to give an answer. I
2: had mm-hmm. someone around two weeks ago um, commenting on my, my video on Instagram about Kenneth Copeland and mm-hmm. that interview that Inside Edition did to him. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, This person constantly defended copeland i provided scripture i provided um a list of 43 heresies from copeland direct heresies like not not light stuff that you can kind of like skip over and ignore them yeah i'll just i'll just tell you guys one um kenneth copeland talking to people about how he has studied the bible and found out who the greatest failure in the bible is and he (sighs) said god is the greatest failure yeah if that's not heresy, that's blasphemous if yeah. that's not heresy, I don't know what is. And this person kept on defending him, and he he told me that he he went and, and read those and those quotes in context, and then he defended Copeland, saying that um, I was misrepresenting him. I don't know how you can misrepresent such a quote.
1: Yeah, I
0: but think it's just uh,
2: direct. Yeah, and Copeland is the worst of the of the bunch for me. I think and so. For people to defend him, it just breaks my heart. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't remember who I got into a discussion with the other day, but he um, was on a, um, a sister of ours page, and uh, I made a stance. I think it was about music or something. I don't remember what the whole context of it was, but I remember I made a comment, and then the guy comes back and says, you need to provide all of the scripture that this person has ever used out of context, and I guess I was a little peeved at that because that wasn't really the context of my argument, and so I'm like, well, I'm not here to do your homework for you if you can't discern what you're you know why this person's a false teacher in this particular context, then you shouldn't be commenting and yeah and
2: look even even a false teacher can be right once or twice yeah, yeah. of yeah. course they can
0: you know broken clocks right twice a day so
2: yep
1: I, I would say too that like whenever you're whenever people are looking at things. And they want to say, you know, give me all the evidence of everything they've ever done wrong. You just show them their Christology, the theology proper, and then from there you can pretty much figure it out. Whenever, Mm -hmm. whenever Amanda Cook says that God is basically the universe, you can get a red flag right (laughs) Uh there. You know. Well, um, Kenneth
2: Copeland says that God is a a man who stands at five five eleven. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: So I mean, but really, you'll you'll notice too with. Uh, you want to find out what someone believes. You ask them about the Christology, and that yeah. will that will tell you everything you need to know. And if they get that wrong, then then that's it. That's one thing you cannot separate from. And um, y'all talked about this in your debate, Paul. Uh, I think that it really does need to be taken seriously. That heresy is not a light word, and we don't just throw it around. So whenever yeah. whenever Alex, Paul, and I use heresy, we we mean it in a serious sense, and we don't really yeah, just throw it
0: around. It has to I be- actually. Yeah. I actually even differentiated that in my in the upcoming podcast yeah, you did. I, I made you did. very clear what I stand for heresy and what stands for false teaching, and, and I think and uh, I think it's
1: important that everyone uses it sparingly, to, yeah, so. but it's like
0: a word man but that gets I, thrown around I still on have
2: to say I still have to say Kenneth Copeland, I can absolutely say that it's a is out heretic, heretic.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree,
2: yeah
1: all right, so everyone go uh, to dying light for a more comprehensive understanding
0: of heresy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just don't listen to my episodes. They're terrible. Well,
1: you said that episode had that not information. Enough, they're not, they're not, I got to no, point people there. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, talked about what nah. heresy is in my upcoming episode, but don't go listen to it because it's horrible. Okay. <laughs> don't go listen to it. I,
0: you know, honestly, I recorded it last night and I it might be okay, but man, towards the back half of that episode, I was just dead inside. I was so tired. So I'm really hoping it turns out okay.
1: Yeah, just re-record it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe. I'm, I'm just leaving it up to my editor, Paul, that it works out all right. Maybe um, you can. I'm just going to add the intro and outro. Yeah, just do some <laughs> like circus music or something at the end, and it'll be all good. So.
2: Oh, goodness. Uh,
0: all right. So last question that I've got. Because prophecy at times has been a controversial subject, I want to ask you a favor. Suspend your caution and concern and open your heart and mind to some new ideas and especially some new experiences. You're
2: reading the, the Sean Bowles? Sean yeah.
0: Bowles. Mm-hmm.
2: Thoughts? That sounds like Eastern mysticism and just opening up to demonic influence. Just think think of an Old Testament prophet saying that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just open my heart and suspend my caution and concern and experiment with new ideas. Does that sound like an Old Testament prophet or like an apostle? Yeah, no, it doesn't.
1: Yeah. Um, John puts it pretty, uh, pretty clearly in first John, you test all spirits. Uh, I don't really think that there's, there's much room to, uh, suspend your caution. I will say this. Um, Open your mind to new ideas, sure, but opening your mind to ideas and, and trying to understand them doesn't mean you have to absorb them. doesn't mean that you have to uh, let them influence you. It, doesn't, it certainly doesn't mean that you should open your mind enough for your brain to fall out. Uh, you, you need to think through things. You challenge things. And I would say, you know, we need to be reading outside of our traditions. But what this is suggesting, especially with prophecy linked to it, no, you, you need to test prophecy, period. Anything that claims to be from God, you test it. And if it doesn't
2: match up with scripture, you reject it. It's, it's really straightforward, I think. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and this guy, by the way, is a major con artist. He, he has, you guys just have got to see that on YouTube. It's hilarious. He has this huge conferences with uh, a, lot of, a lot of young people. And he has literally an, an, an iPad on his table quote-unquote pulpit and then he just searches for people and and whether facebook profiles or twitter or or instagram and then he starts calling um the holy spirit is telling me that that there is a 24 year old male called uh robert in in the in the crowd and and robert you study in in such and such university and and the people start going nuts and saying oh my goodness he's a prophet And, and dude i mean come on
1: yeah just put uh, two
2: finger on on your forehead and think for it five seconds that man is he's a con a con man literal literally sorry <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> well I mean it's no different than those uh um uh psychic mediums that you know take a a poll at the beginning of their you know t v shows or readings, and they have you know like give me your basic information down your first name and then you're know, like they answer three questions and then they use all that to, you know, arouse the crowds to get, uh, you know, an excitement or to get a, a response from them. And I mean, that's all these guys are doing. They're just taking basic information probably from somebody they have on their congregational list and, you know, they're arousing the crowds or, you know, putting on a, a circus performance for them.
2: Yeah, but at least the the people who read cards, I know that's that's full paganism, but... They don't have an iPad on the table and they're telling <laughs> you your stuff when That's this guy true. does.
0: Yeah. He's like going to Facebook before the church service. <laughs> I, need, uh, I need four people today. Who am I going to get?
1: You know, th- this will be a continuous theme, I think, on the show as we go along because it just seems to be the, the thing that we have to address. We talked about apostles and all that and uh, just thinking about the, the letter uh, that two-, two Ephesians, you know, in Revelation 2, that or to the message to Ephesians. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Jesus praises the church of Ephesus for are testing those who call themselves apostles. All these individuals will tell you just trust them. You can't, you can't question them. You can't, you can't do that. But you see continuously, you, you test things. And uh, like, like I said, the church in Ephesus was praised uh, for that point, for finding that there were false apostles, uh, and by th- through testing them,
2: I mean I don't think it gets much more difficult than that, really. Yep. The Bereans from Acts seventeen eleven also. Yeah. I mean, Paul Paul never condemned them for examining him. Right. He actually says that they were more noble.
1: And yep. I think we talked about that too on that episode. It's like if Paul praised them for testing him, a legitimate apostle, then why should we not trust a guy on a stage with an iPad? So,
0: yeah, <laughs> right. I, you know, I mean, we, the, the, the whole thing that just bugs me is that the people that just hand over foot just hand these people money. They're like, oh, you're an apostle. Take my bank account. Yeah. And these people what, just start. What,
2: what if they give you a, an apostleship certificate?
0: Well, I'm glad you bring that up, Paul. Because Undying Light is now proud to sponsor.
1: Yeah. <laughs> man, that was the perfect plug. Like, that sounded like you're about to go to commercial, down, man.
0: man.
1: <laughs> that was casual. You did better than most YouTubers. Oh, goodness. Yeah, That's funny. That's like the, I don't know, man. That's like the, the NAR's indulgence system just, like, flipped around. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Uh, well, that's all I got. That's all the questions we got. Uh, about time wise for you guys. Um, I'm. I don't know. What do you think, uh, Paul? Anything
1: you want to? Oh yeah. So, uh, no. go ahead.
2: No, no, no. Go, go, go on.
1: I was just gonna say, uh, everyone on the Andy Stanley and Jeff Durbin discussion, real quick. Uh, a lot of people. I don't know if it was just me, but I kind of got what Andy was saying, and I kind of understood it and agreed with it a little bit. I get I get the premise that that you know Christianity was built on the events that occurred, but of course obviously the disconnect was how do we know that they occurred? <laughs> and how how do they have a context because you can't understand the resurrection without the Old Testament. But I think that he he makes some good points about uh, why not say that John says this, Paul says this kind of thing? I don't know if you remember that from that discussion, Paul.
2: Um, I, I do, and I I actually agree with you on that. I I didn't. I, I was expecting Andy Stanley to be a lot worse,
0: right? But it wasn't. Yeah, I that thought he was going to be go like full force, you know, Martianist. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and he might have been temperate because of the setting, but for the most part, I mean. Obviously, there's a lot of issues with what he was saying, but I think there was some good from it that we can take to consideration, I think. Uh, I think his overconcern is, um, what do they call it, like
0: Bible worship or uh,
1: something like that? And I can kind of see that.
2: Bibliolatry.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Because I'll tell you, when I preach, the easiest thing for me to do is say, Paul tells us in the letter to Romans or, you know, John tells us in his gospel that to me is easier than saying John fourteen eight, and you know, b- because people aren't going to remember that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, people, especially in a congregational setting, when when I'm given a sermon, p- people don't care about the chapter and verse, and people just want to know, okay, who said it? Oh, it's in this book. Okay, and if it resonates with them, they might write it down, or they may ask me about it afterwards. Yeah, but they, you know, it, it, again. I, you, I don't i'm not partial to either way you can give chapter verse and it's perfectly fine or you could just say paul tells us in romans
1: yeah he he made some interesting points about you know like he he was aware of the historical development of canon basically mm-hmm. and the way mm-hmm. he he uh reasoned through it i was like well honestly from that perspective i can kind of see that um but obviously, like, like we said, the, the context of the Old Testament for the resurrection and how we know now that the canon is established. Yeah. So there was kind of like a disconnect between, well, the canon is established and we have the Bible. So, I mean, I don't know. Did you have any extra thoughts on that?
2: Um, the thing that I rescued the most on that was um, when Stanley asked uh, Durbin, um,
0: yeah. Yeah. I What's forgot the quote. Yeah, what, yeah, wasn't it? What do you uh, get? It? Um, Pretty. What's your ultimate source of authority? How do you know your
2: faith is, is legitimate? Oh, yeah. I think. Yeah. I, I think it was something like that. And like that, yeah. um, Durbin answered, uh, "The word of the living God." And Stanley's yeah. just like dumbfounded. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, because at the end of the day,
2: I mean, yeah.
1: whenever you ask, like, if you there's no grounds for what Andy believes, um, if you really take his full effect, right? I mean.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, that's what. That's how um, his. Apologetic approach works kind of like Willem Willem Link Craig's. Like, you have to reason to the Bible and not reason from the Bible. Yeah, yep, same. All right, (laughs) where's our host? He's supposed to close us out, I think.
0: Host is dead officially. All right, slacker, slacker. All right, guys, so uh, Uh, that is all for the round table episode three. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope that you guys uh, learned a little bit and were edified by this episode. Um, And as always, as we get close to launching these, we will be submitting uh, some, some means that you can submit questions to in the meantime, you can always shoot us DMS asking questions and we'll write them down for the next episode. So please continue to send questions because we love to tackle all sorts of topics. All right, guys, that's all we got on, uh, for the roundtable this week. I am Alex Reformed underscore Lifestyle I'm on Instagram at that handle. You can follow Paul at Reform.Retch. Nick, who are you? Uh, at Christ.is.the.cure. I like making it easy for people. Exactly. Yeah. And you can follow Paul and I's podcast at Undying Light. It's not near as good as Nick's podcast at Christ is a Cure. Uh, we're just amateur hour compared to that genius um but guys we hope you guys enjoyed this episode and as always continue submitting questions so we can uh um, banter about them and talk about them and, and hopefully give you a reasonable answer and until next time god bless